0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. <laughs> The name uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're going to discuss today is Al-Ahad. And along with it, we'll talk about the other name that's of a similar meaning, Al-Wahid. Al-Wahid. So first, let's, let's differentiate between the two and understand. When we speak of Al-Ahad, or rather Al-Wahid, when we speak of al-wahid, we're talking, you could translate it as the one. And here we mean, or here we're negating any partner in, in his being, or any partner, or any parts to his being, any partner in his actions, any partner in his attributes. And we'll talk a bit more about what that means, because that's a bit abstract. So al-wahid is saying that he is one and he has no partners in any shape or form, in any sense. Wahdahu la sharika lahu. The word wahdahu, la sharika lahu. He's alone without partner. Al-ahad, you could translate it as, you know, one way to translate it, some have translated it as the only one or, or the uniquely one. And here we're not talking so much about Allah being Al-Ahad in relation to others. More, the perfections that He possesses, nobody else possesses. Nobody else possesses. Perfections. And so, when you speak about knowledge, Allah possesses knowledge, but la ghayrihi, Not like the knowledge of anybody else. Um, when He sees, He sees, but not like the way, way any of His creation sees. So he's perfect in all aspects, he's Al-Ahad in that regard. Now, at, at, at the core of, of what it means to be a Muslim, we talk of tawheed. And the root letters waw ha and dal, wahadah, tawhid It means to make one. To make something one. It's from Bab tafil. To make something one. And so Tawheed is to say that I I see multiplicity around me, but I unify that multiplicity. I make it one. Meaning what? In less abstract terms, esoteric terms. What does that mean? It means you see things around you happening that seem to have apparent causes that are material causes. Things are happening, the world is... So-and-so is doing something, that country, uh, the na- nature is doing something. There's stuff happening, caused by many different things. The Muwahid, the one who makes one, comes along and says, all these different causes go back to one cause. To one being who causes it all. We see humans you know, creating things. All creation goes back to one being who creates from nothing. We say, ex nihilo from absolutely nothing, He brings it all into existence. To make one. And and, and that's that's the mistake that humans make. Because when you look at the world, you see this person, they cured my mother. That's the doctor that cured my mother. That's the medicine that cured my father. Oh, that's the person who helped, who helped me. We see all these apparent causes, there's a multiplicity. But to recognize that it all goes back to Allah. It all goes back to Allah. Imam al-Ghazali gives a beautiful example to explain this. He gives the example of like an ant. Imagine there's an ant crawling on a piece of paper. And there's a human being writing with, with, pen, with a pen and ink. And as you're writing, or as this human is writing, the ant being so small, and possessing such shallow and limited vision, what, is, what does the ant see? It sees this thing, this tip, the tip of the pen, and there's ink coming out, and it's just wetting the paper. So the ant goes, oh, that's, that's what's causing all of this. right? It's the tip that's causing all this writing on this paper. What's the mistake? If the ant were to look up, Say, wait, what's this tip connected to? It's connected to a long pen, right? A long pen. And that pen is in the hand of someone. And that hand is controlled by a human being. And the human being has a brain, and they're thinking and they're deciding what they want to write. They'll recognize that all this writing is not happening by the tip. You trace it back to its cause, the original cause. The mistake, though, is that the ant doesn't have that foresight. It cannot see all that. And so Imam al-Ghazali says a similar example for human beings. Is we see so-and-so doing something, and that person's doing that, and this is happening over there, and we just see the cause, the apparent cause, and that's all we see. Were we to think behind the scenes, who is pulling the strings? To use a metaphor, right? Allah is the one who controls hearts. Oh, I need to be grateful to so-and-so because they decided. They decided that this should be like this. Who controls their heart that, made, that softened their heart towards you to give you that opportunity? And so while you should be grateful to the apparent cause, you should never forget gratitude to Allah because it comes from Allah. And, and you could say that about everything and, and anything you see in your life. To make everything around us, which is a multiplicity, to unify it and attribute it all back to one. It's tawheed, it's the muwahid. Now, Imam, how, how could we define Tawheed? There's many ways it's been defined. One beautiful way that I think we could take a moment to ponder over is the way Imam Al-Junaid defines it. He defines it um, as, Ifradul Qidam Anil Hadath To separate, and, and think about this, it's very profound. To separate that which is eternal from that which is temporal. Now you might say, like, why is that even relevant? How does that... What's so significant about that? Okay. There is only one being that's eternal. That has no beginning and has no end. That has always existed. That has always existed. That existed before the concept of time came into being. So time does not apply. But for our sakes, when we speak of time, you know, unlimited time, we say Eternal. But otherwise, the concept of time does not apply. There's only one being. Everything. محدثun, everything other than Allah, everything is created. And it's temporal, it's finite. Okay. Tawheed is to recognize the difference that what is temporal and temporary is temporary. And thus, cannot be fully relied upon. And it's a very sobering reality. And it's actually a very powerful means to protect your heart. We'll talk about this. But before that, I want to talk about, from the Qur'an, how this idea that the being that you worship must be one that does not change. Does not change. Does not go through different phases and stages does not weaken, does not disappear. They are eternally unchanging, eternally perfect in all regards, in all aspects. And the story of the Prophet Ibrahim salam in the Qur'an, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but look at the reason. So Ibrahim salam, just to summarize, he looks at the star and he entertains the idea that this might be a god, not because he believes it. Not because the Quran multiple times says, وَمَا كَانَ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ وَلَمْ يَكُمْ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ The Quran multiple places said, Ibrahim alayhi salam never committed shirk. And so we should never have that idea that, oh, maybe he believed in the star for a minute. He did not. That's why the scholars interpret this, this incident not as Ibrahim alayhi salam believing these, you know, the star and the moon and the sun, to believing them to be gods. That's not, that's not what he was doing. But he was for the sake of his people. And let's say let's let's entertain this idea. Okay. The star is gone? Okay, let's see. And then what happened to the star? Disappeared. It changed. And then he said, Okay, maybe the moon is bigger. Changed. It disappeared. So the sun he said it's bigger. How the akbar And then it disappeared. And each time La أحب الأفلين. I don't like things that disappear, that are not there when I need them. Imagine, you ever like needed something, you called your doctor and your doctor was not available, go to emergency, what happens? It's frustrating, like I need you, we pay you big bucks, you're not available, like they're humans, so we understand that, like they can't be available all day, but it does cause you inconvenience. Can you imagine if your Lord was like that? Oh Allah, I need you at this moment, I have a real, sorry, you know, heaven's closed or, 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 you know, it's all closed. Right, like there's nothing for you here right now. Come back in the morning. Well, what is that? You understand? That's what humans do, because we need sleep. The Quran then clarifies, Allah does not sleep. He doesn't need sleep, there's no no need, dependency, deficiency, He doesn't need it. And thus, it's interesting, in hadith we're told, Allah more readily accepts du'as, when? When everybody's sleeping, when everybody's sleeping. The time where nobody else is available, Allah is most available. In the last third of the night, we're told how much reward there is for making dua. As a matter of fact, in the last third of the night, Allah announces. You know how the whole day we say, oh Allah, I need this. In the last third of the night, Allah says, do you need anything? Imagine that. The master calling his servant, do you need anything? And the servant's like, yeah, I need my sleep. I know, it's, it's something to think about. Are you really serious about what you want if you're not waking up in the last third of the night to ask for it? Are you really serious about what you want if you're not waking up in the last third of the night to ask for it? The time when Allah is asking you, what do you want and if you need something? Anyway, my point is, so Ibrahim says, I don't like things that disappear. What in this world could be your God that you could rely upon that would not disappear? Well, let me rely on this really powerful person until they die. And then what? Rely on this concept or this, this, you know, a group of people until they have fights amongst themselves, and then what? That's the nature of the world. And that's what makes anything and everything of this world, of this material world, this created world, unworthy of being God. And Allah being unique, perfect, eternal, is worthy and deserving of being worshipped. Now, there's a very powerful, and this is a means of protecting your heart. When we look at the world around us, and we recognize everything, in everything, temporality, infinitude, the idea that it's finite, it will come to an end, is built into it. You enter every situation with that mentality. And I know it's not, always the most bubbling and positive mentality. But it keeps you real. Every marriage will come to an end. That's not really what we want to hear. Every marriage will come to an end, either before you pass away or at death. At death, it ends. And, and then they're reunited in paradise. But at death, the marriage is done. And that's why someone can go on to marry someone else after. That's why the person who's left behind, whose spouse passes away, they can go marry again because the nikah is done. It's built into the marriage that it will end, either in this world, you know, before death, or at death. Everything you buy will will come to an end. Everything you own, every situation that comes along will come to an end. Even the good times. It's like, don't say that, Shaykh. We don't want it to come to an end, but it will. And why is that important, to recognize that? So that we don't get carried away in the moment and disobey Allah. Because even after the good times end, we're still in front of Allah. And we still have to answer to Allah. You know one scholar, he said, he said, Don't ever commit a sin because it feels good. Why? Because the feeling will end and the sin of committing it will remain. The sin of committing it will remain. And don't ever leave a good deed because it's too hard. Because the difficulty will end, but the good deed will remain. The idea that everything in this world, even the situations we find ourselves in, it comes to an end. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. It's like, yo, man, this university's not ending, man. Like it's like semester after semester. But it'll come to an end. And then you get people who move on and they're like, Did it even happen? Can you remember your days? It's like it just كألم تكن بين الحجون إلى Or يكن بين الحجون إلى أنيس ولم يسمر it's like time passes and it's like didn't it even happen like I can't even remember it. it's really weird. in the moment people say time's going so slow, right? and then like two years later it flew by. make up your mind, dude. slow or fast? which one was it? right? but that's kind of how life is. things this too shall pass. who's heard that before? this too shall pass." That applies to everything. That applies to the clothes you're wearing. That applies to the car you drive. It applies to the houses we live in. To the streets we drive on. It applies to everything. And it applied, it applied in this world, in terms of worldly life, it applied to our Prophet And, And that was one thing that the Muslims at that time, some of them had not really internalized. And so when he passed away, we had Muslims, Sahaba, companions, really outraged. No, 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 Muhammad, no, no. Like the world comes to it, but he's the Prophet, like he's not gonna And it was just really hard until Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu gave the khutbah, where he reminded them that the one who worshipped Muhammad, someone who was finite in this world, they should know that Muhammad is gone. And he was not worthy of being worshipped. He was sent by the one who is worthy of being worshipped. And he was sent to be followed, but he was not sent to be worshipped. But the one he goes on to say, and wamin ka yamut. And the one who worshipped Allah should know that Allah is ever-living and never dies. He doesn't say Allah is the creator. They should know that Allah is the creator. He said, No, know that Allah is eternal and never dies. And he alone um, in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when he talks about his name, Al-Ahad, um, Say that Allah is the creator of everything. kulli Shay. This is like general, this is Nakira. Everything, he is the creator of every circumstance. We think about like physical things. When we say Allah is Al-Khaliq, the creator, we tend to think of like physical things. Yeah, he created that, he created this, he created the material, da-da-da-da-da. He creates situations. He creates circumstances. He creates challenges. He creates solutions. Allah is the creator of everything. Everything. And thus, when you find yourself in a problem, who better to turn to than the one who's created that problem? Al-Khaliq. Do you understand? So Allah says, He's the creator of all things. وَهُوَ Wahidul and he is the one, and then he, he couples the name Al-Wahid with Al-Qahar. And Qahar, qaf ra means to overpower and dominate. Because someone might say, okay, Allah creates situations, but what if we kind of just change it? It's like you can't do that. He is Al-Qahar. He dominates over everything. His dec- decisions come to be. Come to be. As much as we might fight it. You ever fought something desperately in life and still lost? Why? What's wrong with you? I was like, nothing wrong wrong with you. It's that you don't control life. You don't even control your own affairs. You ever like told yourself, I'm going to wake up at a certain time and you didn't wake up? Dude, that's you. And you're asleep. Just wake up. So you can't even do that. You can't even control the time you wake up. You put the alarm, I slept through it. What more could you do? I asked someone to wake me up. It was like, yo, I came, I woke you up, I shook you. Ever happened? Yeah. Living on campus, a roommate knocks on your door, but like you sleep through an earthquake? Like you can't hear nothing? Yeah. But we want to act like we control things. It was Like my life, my destiny? It's up to me. That's what the alchemist will have you believe. Your destiny's up to you. No, it's not. Dude, you can't wake up at 6 a.m. when you want to, even after you put your alarms on and ask people to wake you up. Don't act like you control your life and your destiny. Come on. Allah dominates. When humans want to dominate, they often get into groups and attempt to dominate. Allah does it all alone, dominates everyone and everything. And then and that's why it's like, you know, one person described it like this: us human beings, we're like children. We're like that child who goes to the beach and builds a castle, a sandcastle. And then what happens? The tide starts to come in. And what does the kid do? The kid goes and stands between the sandcastle and the ocean and goes, No! I won't let you! <laughs> Meanwhile, the kid knows and the parent knows, everybody knows. It's not up to the kid. It's not up to the kid. Do everything you want, but that, when that tide comes in, it's going to wash away everything that's there. Whether the kid likes it or not. It's not up to him. He can posture and act like, No, I will not let... You know, you, don't worry about it. I will take care of... it. Yeah, you're not taking care of nothing. And what happened? What do kids do though? So then the tide comes in. Boom, washes it away. The kid gets up, cries a little bit. Daddy, and then goes home. Accepting that's... It was never... I never had control over the situation to begin with. That's kind of us. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. What well, can you take care of? It? We can try our best, but don't act like you have it all solved. figured out. None of us can act like that. And if we do rely on to ourselves and to the other person, we'll do our best. That's the most we can say. We'll do our best. Let me, let me, let me do my best to help you out there. All right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another ayah, and I want to speak here about Al-Ahad being, being the one who alone controls affairs and who has no partners. For a moment, let's talk about partners. What's the, big, what's the big problem with having partners? Miscommunication, Miscommunication is one possibility, right? Right. What other possible problems? No one knows who's in charge. No one knows who's in charge. Okay. Right. But what if they just, you know, they're really reasonable people. We'll get along. When do you get into a partnership? When do you get into a partnership? A lot of people, a lot of people don't like partnerships. You ever been put in like group work in school? You ever heard a like, teacher said, We're going to put you in groups? You're like, Oh, please don't do that. I've got to work with people. Huh? When it benefits you. When it benefits you. Well, why would it benefit you? Why not just do it yourself? Sometimes have Right, 100%. Less work. <laughs> Less work, oh. That's called the free rider problem. You know that one person who doesn't do anything and just gets the same mark? That's the free rider problem. In ethics, what do you do when you have that person who just tags along, right? Um, but generally, we, 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 we enter partnerships when we need something. When, when I don't have enough money to start this, but hey, if you pitch in, we'll start this business together. And then we'll profit together. We turn to partners when we feel like we can't do it alone. Or we feel there's this added benefit of someone else, which highlights that we're not completely independent. If we think that someone else can give us benefit, it means there's a deficiency in us that someone else can make up, so we will partner with them. There cannot be a partner for Allah who is perfect, who has no needs, who has no deficiencies, who has no dependence. He's As-Samad, the one who needs nothing and whom all need. He needs nothing and everything needs Him. And so the idea of being a, having a partner, why? Not possible. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, Surah Taha is a very beautiful verse. He says, Innani, And this is, a, this is actually a really interesting thing uh, that I want you guys to think about because I hope it'll reframe how we think about worshipping God. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and he's addressing Musa salam in a conversation. And before the conversation goes on, First he tells him, Fastamir ma Yuha. Right? Listen carefully to what's going to be revealed to you. Then he says, Innani an Allah. Verily I am Allah. And, and, and this innani an Allah, like the amount of emphasis there, there's a lot of emphasis. Inna. And then the anna is repeated. Right? Um, and so it's like, verily I, I am definitely Allah. Right? La ilaha illa ana. There is no one. We say there is no one worthy of worship. But let's just translate. There is no God but, but I fa'abudni. So, and I'm just giving you a reason. So, worship me. Why did Allah say you need to worship Him? For ourselves. No, in this ayah, what was the reason He given? He's be because He's one. I am Allah. لا إله إلا أنا There is no God but me, so worship me. Allah's not saying, you know, I've given you this, and I've given you that, and I've blessed you with this, and I've blessed you with that. So worship me. That's an important point. Why? Because maybe some of us have that moment in our lives where things don't go our way. And we begin to ask questions, oh Allah, what's going on here? Oh life, life is terrible, oh Allah. You know what, I'm not going to pray. Yeah, I know, people are you like, know, I'm not going to pray. No, no. Oh Allah, when you treat me like this, I'm not going to pray. Why would I pray? Hold up. Why were you praying? Was it reciprocal? That, oh Allah, you give me blessings and then I'll give you prayer? Is that how that was working? The Quran is not saying that here. It's saying Allah is worthy and deserving of our worship merely because He is who He is. Now, you might say like, how does that even make sense? So let's break down what it means to worship, number one. And let's break down what it means to worship because somebody is who they are. Okay. You ever seen somebody who has a skill, who has some type of talent, ability, that just amazes you? And it does nothing for you. And a good example is like probably scrolling through Instagram and you see somebody with some incredible skill. Anyone the name of skill that you've seen? Curry. Oh, Seth Curry. Okay, okay, let's not start a debate here because <laughs> I can just see some people in the back probably getting riled up and saying, no, 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 it's LeBron, but um Bahama agrees though, yeah, okay, uh, juggling. juggling, okay, juggling, anything else, you ever seen pool shots, people do like the most ridiculous pool shots, you're like, holy smokes, yeah, anything else, football skills? yes, what, by football, what do you mean, what football, soccer, soccer right, yeah, because I, I don't really see too many football skills, I see soccer ones. A lot. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know how that works. But I see a lot of them. Right? Like crazy shots. and Y'all see Dude Perfect? Dude Perfect. Yeah, like you see people who have talents. What happens? You admire them. Right? You ever been to a live performance of something? as A game, a sport, or a performance? And you just... You couldn't help but stand up and clap? It ever happened to you? Y'all never get, get so involved in it? Like invested in it? Yeah, like you stand up you're just like, yo, wow, I can't, that's amazing. You just kind of shake. I mean, you can't help human beings. You know, when you admire something, you stand up and you just clap in admiration. Like, wow. What did it do for you? But what did that talent do for you? Amusement. Amusement, right. And beyond that, like, did your bank balance go up? No. It didn't really benefit you. But you're still willing to do what? Pay money to go see it. Pay money to go see it. You're willing to stand up and give them a round of applause. You're willing to follow them on Instagram. You're willing to share their content. You're willing to do so much out of admiration. Despite the fact that they benefit you nothing. They don't know who you are. They don't know your name. They're they're not bothered by you. What about in admiration of Allah? These are human beings who maybe perfected one skill. And like, if we really break down some of these skills... It's kind of, I don't know how to say it without sounding very condescending, but it's, it's not really anything very incredible. What did you do with the 60, 70, or 60 or 70 years of your life? I learned to take a stick. Hit one ball to hit another ball into a hole. And I'm very good at that. That's what it... And, and we stand up. <laughs> right? Like I, I give the example of curry. Right? Like I've given it before. What can he do? He tells his grandkids, "I could take this orange thing and throw it in the circle. That's what I could do. My legacy is I could throw this thing in that hole, change the world." What did you do? No, no, I, I don't mean to like. It is a talent, and people do. You know, maybe some people are saved by basketball from from drugs and stuff. So maybe there's some benefit like that. But, but like, you know, like someone else is like a you know, who's involved in suicide intervention. You know, like, that person probably made a much bigger impact in the world than Steph Curry, with all due respect. Right? Like, they, they, they save people's lives. But no one knows who they are. No one knows who they are. No one gives them credit like that. But somehow we really admire these people. Right? We really admire these people who can do these really interesting things. Like, and you ever seen, like, you know, table tennis? You know those rallies that go on? Like, that are crazy? Like, and you just kind of go like, I can't believe, how, how can they hit it from all the way back there? Because I can barely get it over when I play myself. Right? Like, when people, gaming, gaming, like, people are good at this stuff. And you're like, how are they so good? And, and we admire them. We'll travel to go watch them. Isn't it? Well, people travel to go watch the World Cup. To do what? What did you do with your life? I could take this ball, and that whole I could kick it in there. That's my legacy. It's like, okay, man, it sounds ridiculous, right? When you just kind of frame it like that. And what do? You, okay, so so you you could do that so well. What did you get from it? Okay, got a lot of money, sure, but, and then that's another question to ask. It's like, why are they getting so much money? Because we're giving it to them for doing that. Like I said, suicide intervention? No, no, no. Like donate to that? No. But I'll pay hundred. One of my relatives is trying to get me to go to the Leafs game, home opener, Toronto Maple Leafs. I was like nine hundred bucks for a ticket. I said, "No way, buddy! I'm not paying nine hundred bucks. I'm not, I'm not one of those those Leafs fans, you know." Like, but like people will pay, and that's where all this money comes from. Besides that, what did you do? Well, I got this trophy. Like little kids, I understand trophy. What did you? What's a trophy to you? It's it's a thing you put on your shelf. I know. I'm really like. Like like, really diminishing the, the, the magnificence of these things. But my point is this. If we're willing to stand in admiration and, and just really admire and, and spend money and, and sacrifice, man, people they save up money to go watch these people and, and stuff like that. For people who can do nothing for you does not the being who sustains you and provides for you and causes you to wake up in the morning with a body that's functioning at least to some degree, to cause you to breathe, to be able to look into the Qur'an, to be able to come to the masjid and be invited to Allah's house, to listen to the Qur'an, to be able to meet other Muslims, to be able to look at your child, to look at your parents, all these blessings, and to do so, to be doing this for billions and billions of years, trillions of years, all of this, Sustaining it all, at the same time, is that being not worthy of being admired? And not standing up and clapping for, but standing up and praying for? Just, just who He is. Not even what He gives us. Just who He is. Is He not worthy of that? So Allah says, "Fa'budni." So, worship Me, devote yourself to Me, really. Because it doesn't just mean, I've got to pray five times and fast, and that's what I need to do. It means my life needs to be devoted to Allah. And this brings me to the next point. Which I'm going to finish with soon. Um, You might say, well, I do worship Allah. But Allah wants worship of Him alone. You say, I do that too. I don't worship nobody else. The Quran will talk about worshipping other than God. Because we think of, okay, the people in the time of the Prophet, what were they worshipping that was such a big problem? Idols. So you say, well, you know, I don't do that, Shaykh, alhamdulillah, we don't do no idols. But the scholars talk about the idols of the heart. The idols in in our hearts. Those things that take us away from our devotion to Allah. It could be our desires. The Qur'an speaks about desires being the idol of the heart. But it could be any, any one thing in particular, which you're willing to sacrifice your duty to Allah for. You can ask yourself what that is. I want people's approval. And I'll sacrifice Allah's approval in order to attain people's approval. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the idol that you're struggling with. It's not some physical idol, which is why you can get away with it and nobody's gonna say anything to you because they don't know what's going on inside. But you know. You know what you seek. Maybe it's money that you're willing to like break the commands of Allah to earn money. Maybe it's a relationship. You're willing to disobey Allah just to earn the love of that person, or be involved with that person in a relationship. They're not supposed to be involved in. There's so many things that we devote ourselves to, we make sacrifices for. Maybe it's your body, seriously. Maybe it's your, the Qur'an speaks about children, being a fitna. When your children become, you break the commands of Allah to make your children happy. And you tell them, we do it for the kids. That's what you say, we do it for the kids. We break the commands of Allah for the kids. Well, you have a responsibility to your kids, for example. And I'm like, oh, one is hungry, one needs this, one needs this, and so, and oh. and so I'm oh, I was like, and constantly, and I'm like, okay, let me just rest. And then it's the next prayer, and I'm like, oh no, I missed this. Like, you know? It's a little yeah, thing, yeah. and, so, and the adds that. up, yeah. yeah. And, and there's many, we can give many examples here of, of <clears throat> your children want certain things from you that are not allowed. And you want to make them happy. Oh, come on, mom, can I bring her home? <laughs> no I'm serious y'all laugh because you think this is not happening right can I bring her home if I can't bring her home I'm not going to live with you anymore and people blackmail their their parents it happens my point is what does the parent do in that situation do they break the command of Allah do they take a stance How how do you handle those situations where these are tough these are tough conversations these are tough situations that we deal with the Qur'an describes these things as fitna, as a temptation, a tribulation that could cause you to fail in your duty to Allah. So it really could be anything. It could be your studies. You sacrifice your prayer because have got an exam coming. Well, you should have studied in advance so you don't miss your prayer. It could have been your desire for food. I'm going to eat haram because i just, I, just, I, just, I got to have a poutine right now. It's like, dude, your, command, your duty to Allah comes first before your stomach. Yeah, I'm just, you can give examples of, of anything, really, because anything can take you away from Allah. And you know what's the most? So people think, okay, all the haram stuff will take me away from Allah. You know what's actually harder? It's the halal things. Halal things, things that are halal, but when you overindulge, it leads to haram. You overindulge, it leads to haram, because you're just you 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 neglect God. You know somebody's so pious because I need a good spouse. So mashallah, dua and everything and the halaqas and everything. And subhanallah, Allah blesses them with a spouse. And then they're so caught up in their spouse that masjid and salat and all that. I got what I needed from Allah. Like, what do we need him anymore for? That's getting, that's overindulgence. These are the idols of the heart. Now, there's a problem with that. Beyond just in the hereafter that we will, you know, we will be punished for that. For even, you know, in a form, ascribing a partner to Allah. Giving something equal importance to Allah. That's a problem in and of itself. But your life eventually becomes miserable too. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He mentions, and I, I mention this all the time. Many of you will have heard me say this multiple times. And I know, but I'll keep saying it because this is such a powerful point here. Allah speaks about two people. Two slaves, one is a slave to one master, and one is a slave to multiple masters. Two men, two slaves. One man is owned by multiple people, and one man is owned by just one master. Allah says, Are they the same? And the answer to a rhetorical question, no! the, The answer is obviously no! Why? Because the one who has multiple masters, and that may be some of us, you might say, what do you mean? When you go to make a decision in life, who do you ask? Do you wake up in the morning and say, Oh Allah, what do you want from me today? How do you want me to dress? How do you want me to behave? How do you want me to speak to people? How do you want me to deal with my money? How do you want me to interact with so-and-so? Do we ask what Allah wants? Do we ask what I want? Do we ask what the people around me want? The one who only is concerned with what Allah wants. Oh Allah, what do you want from me? Who has one master and only asks one master what to do, you don't get conflicting messages. Allah will tell you what to do and you do it. What happens when you have multiple masters? It's so hard. You know, sheikh but my parents want me to do this. And my friends, man, if I do that, they'll be like, yo, what's wrong with you? And then the sheikh of the Masjid, he'll be like, yo, that's haram. I don't know what to do. Because it's like multiple opinions, multiple masters. Who do you make happy? And I'm sure a lot of us have experienced this. In high school, I speak about high school because that's almost guaranteed where it happens, but it probably happened in university colleges too. Do you make your parents happy or your friends? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And your parents are like, you know, super, like they're trying to do the right thing. But you're like, that's not cool. I can't do that. My friends will be like, what's wrong with you? What are you like? Old school? Like, are you 50 years old? Trying to dress like that? No! Who do you make happy? It's hard, man! You're a slave to multiple beings. And then society, what society tells you! And then all the different ads you get that tell you, well, if you dress like this, you're so 80s. It's like, man. And, and, and you run around trying to make everybody happy like a headless chicken. And then you have those who devote their lives to Allah and say, Oh Allah, what do you want from me? And I'll just do that. And someone might say, well, the world will be upset with you. Allah controls the hearts. There's a hadith that says, if you make Allah happy, Allah will make people happy with you. Eventually, it may not be today. Your friends might look at you and go, what the heck's wrong with you? What happened to you? You became all religious. Look at you think you're all pious and better than us now. And, but they're immature. Give it time. Yeah, yeah, give it time. Often, almost the majority of the time, when life will slap them in the face. And they'll look at you and they'll be like, oh, that's, that's why you did it. Why didn't you tell me? And you're like, I told you. <laughs> Don't act like I didn't tell you. But you were too caught up in whatever it was that you didn't listen. Al-Ahad, <laughs> Al-Wahid, The One. And uh, Hamza Zorzis always quotes this poem from Muhammad Iqbal, that's where I first heard it. It's really beautiful. He he quotes this poem from Muhammad Iqbal. ي... That one prostration that you find so difficult to prostrate yourself to Allah, I meaning your life, to give your life to and devote it to Allah. And you find it so hard, he says, that one prostration will liberate and free you from a thousand prostrations to other than Him. You say, I don't want to prostrate to Allah alone. Okay, don't. But you will prostrate to anything and everything around you to make everybody happy. To make sure that they like you. To make sure that you fit in. That's what you'll do. What's easier? Pick that one. And He'll liberate you from everything else. That's where in the slavery, in slavery to Allah, lies freedom. Such a paradoxical thing to say. But it makes so much sense from the lens of a believer. In slavery to Allah lies true freedom from everything else. Because you just wake up every day and ask, Oh Allah, what do you want from me? How do you want me to look? How do you want me to talk? How do you want me to behave? Life's simple, man. Life is simple. Alright. We'll, we'll, we'll stop here, inshaAllah. Um, and so, all of these gatherings that we have on Fridays especially are all about learning about Allah, devoting our lives to Allah, recognizing and looking at the world in light of Allah's doings. We don't see the world as just happening. The world around us is not just happening. We see it as Allah's doings. Allah is do- he is فَعَالٌ يُرِيدٌ وَلَا يَكُونُ إِلَّا مَا يريد. Nothing happens except that Allah wills it. And Allah Himself is فَعَالٌ لِمَا يريد. He himself makes it happen. So to look at the world in that light, this is all the doing of Allah. That's really important. A change in the way we look at the world. I want to recommend one article and we're done. There's a beautiful article. And there's also a video on YouTube to accompany this article. It's by Hamza Zortzis. It's called, Seven Reasons Why God is Worthy of Worship. Seven Reasons Why God is Worthy of Worship. It's a beautiful article as well as a beautiful video to watch. And so uh, I highly recommend that inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq to understand what was said and to internalize it and make it a reality in our lives. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Jazakumullahu khayran. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. الله على كل شيء قدير